This week has been a week of, of images. Of images that we will have a difficult time forgetting. I don't know whether you've been watching the news at all. I would assume that most of us have been as, as we see images from Japan and what, what is happening in Japan and the, the earthquake there, 9.1, I believe it's currently listed as. And, um, but the images I, I don't, I can't get out of my mind are the images of the, the tsunami, the wave that just is moving across the, the countryside, not just at the shore, but, but across the countryside. And if you saw any of this, you, you saw just trucks and cars just being swept away and, and, and houses and, and the devastation that happened from something that we think of as just some water. But that water and that wave and caused by that earthquake had power that really is hard to understand. It's hard to understand how that far inland, miles inland, this water is still coming and sweeping things away because it's a, it's a picture to us of power. We do praise God this morning. We praise God that Emmy's family is, is safe and, and is okay and the Walker's family is safe and okay. And we praise God for His, His grace there and His protection. This morning, we're going to talk a little bit about power. And it's interesting to see those images. And then we come to the life of Christ and we come to a question of, does Jesus have power? Is He the authority? And that, as He, as he emerges onto the scene and bursts onto the scene, is exactly what people would have been asking. Who is this man? Who is this teacher? Is He just another guy that's walking around trying to make some money, having some people follow Him? Is he a prophet? Who is this man? And just as we saw in in our human comprehension with those images, power beyond what we can understand, with Christ we begin to see right from the start power that is beyond our comprehension. And power that only the God of the universe can hold. And as we we see people interact with that and and the, the conflict that comes from that, we see that people don't always know what to do with that as Christ is stepping onto the scene and and attacking various issues and various things. And again, I think of that with some of the news stories of people up and down the California coast that when the tsunami warning happens, they all run to the coast with their cameras because we don't understand power and we don't understand what, what can happen. And one man in Northern California doing that lost his life because the tsunami did come. And it came as predicted and swept him away. And so this morning as we, we come to the life of Christ, we, we, we think of the images of power, but we realize that that's nothing compared to the authority our Lord and Savior has. And the comfort that comes from that. That's nothing compared to how Jesus emerged on the scene And so may, as we look at His Word today, may we take comfort in that. May we take um, solace in who Jesus Christ is. Turn with me to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. Starting at verse 21 today. Last week we we looked at a variety of of incidents that happened at the beginning of Christ's ministry. We saw His baptism and Christ's obedience at baptism. We saw then the Spirit taking Him into the wilderness to be tested. And we know that any work of God will be tested and Satan will attack that. 
We saw Jesus calling His disciples and as He was intent on His purpose and intent to reproduce, but calling His disciples to a life of sacrifice. Now this morning as we come to verse 21, and boom, we're just hitting them this fast because it's Mark, and this is the action film of the New Testament, and so he's just getting to the action. We get right into the action of Jesus' ministry. And Mark takes the, the next the next three stories, the next three situations, and he gives us a view into a day of Jesus' life. And so everything we, we look at today will happen in a 24-hour period. Now, some of you are already hearing the music to 24, Joe. And um, <laughs> these, these events happen in real time. No. It, but we're looking at 24 hours, which is a fascinating picture of Jesus and who He is and what life looked like for Him. And, it's, and Mark is very intentional in what he presents at the beginning because he's presenting Jesus' credentials. Who is He? I started by asking that question. And that's what he begins to answer, step one. Because if you're introducing a character, you need to introduce who they really are and what credentials he has. I was reading this week some another article about what not to do at a job interview, and I've, I've shared some of those things before. But in thinking of credentials and, and the interview process of finding credentials, one of the one of the things that I hadn't seen before is one interviewee had taken a phone call during an interview. The, the boss is interviewing. He says, wait just a minute, and takes the phone call, and it's his wife. And then he, he puts the phone down and says, my wife's going to bring me some food. Is that okay? And his wife brings him a burger and fries, and he eats it during the interview. Didn't get the job. Not sure why. But it spoke to credentials. And so credentials and, and authority are important that we understand who this man is coming onto the scene. We'll start at verse 21. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. Little little comparison there. And so the first thing we see as Jesus comes onto the scene is that Jesus has authority in his teaching. Jesus has authority in his teaching, and that comes into conflict with religious hypocrisy. Jesus has authority in His teaching and that comes into conflict with religious hypocrisy. The, the city of Capernaum, and we'll, we'll have a little fun with maps and pictures here for a moment. Don, if you could put up the map. It's helpful to know where Capernaum is and where Jerusalem is. Last week when we talked about the baptism of Jesus, and, and I know you can see all of those words, the, Jerusalem is down in here. And the baptism of Jesus happened here at the Jordan, somewhere right around there. And then we saw that Jesus moved ministry up as he was intent on purpose. He, he went to Nazareth for a little while, was not accepted there, and then came over to Capernaum, which is here, up on the northwest side of the Sea of Galilee. And this is where Peter lived and, and the disciples that he called. And, and it was on the shore of the Sea of Galilee here that we saw him walking along intentionally, coming across the four fishermen, and calling them to be his disciples. Andrew has been wonderful to give some pictures, so let's go to the beyond the map. This is an aerial view of Capernaum. And as some of Capernaum, and we'll, we'll, we'll see what these are, this is probably the synagogue that they've uncovered, and this was probably Peter's house. Looks really nice, huh? Um, that's today, and they've built something on top of it. 
But this shoreline here is the shoreline of the Sea of Galilee that Jesus said, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Let's go to the next slide. This is the Capernaum Synagogue again from a boat just offshore. And um, what they've unearthed there, let's keep going. This is another view of the synagogue, and then the next one. And this is, what you see there is typical of what a synagogue would look like with walls and and other things, but it's typical of the, the layout. This flooring is probably a couple hundred years after the time of Jesus, because underneath it, if you go to the next slide, and the next one, Underneath it, they've unearthed a, a prior floor that was probably at the time of Christ. And um, so this was the area that Jesus is ministering in in Capernaum, in the synagogue there. And so Jesus comes into the synagogue, and it's customary for a traveling rabbi to be asked to open the Word of God and, and to do some teaching. And he teaches, and John, Mark doesn't give us many details on what he was teaching here, because the focus is on authority. Authority. And so he entered the synagogue, he's teaching, and in verse 22, they were astonished at his, at his teaching. And the word for astonished there is interesting because it's not just wow. Woohoo! It has the idea of, of amazement mingled with fear. And think about that. Amazement mingled with fear because for the first time, they are hearing God's Word spoken with authority. They are hearing God's Word in truth. God's Word applied to life. See, Jesus wasn't coming in to talk about a book that He had read a little bit when He was a child. He came in and talked about a book He wrote. And about history that He was the author of. That makes a difference. That makes a difference. The wording here implies as well that he not only talked about it, but he used it to dig into their lives and to confront things in their lives. And, and the, the difference was noticeable. Everyone there knew it. Because the other scribes, they would just teach and, and talk about these things. And what they did to, to give credibility is they would quote famous scribes. And, and we do the same thing sometimes. We'll use quotes from people that you all know and, and hear the, the ideas of other men. But that was their way of, of authority and proving themselves and saying, we have credentials. And so they would quote, well, this rabbi said this, and, and I'm teaching this. And this rabbi said this, and I'm teaching this. Jesus didn't have to do that. He could say, well, God said this, and I'm God. And he didn't say it in that way at this point in his ministry, but it came with that kind of authority. I think about, think about college professors. And, and I, I was a college professor for 20 years, um, an adjunct professor, but it was always interesting as a student when you could choose a professor and would you choose someone that had never been in the industry before or someone that had practical experience in the industry? I would always choose the one with practical experience in the industry because their teaching was completely different. The authority behind their teaching, the wisdom behind their teaching was completely different. Same thing in seminary. And I'm not discounting those that that haven't been pastors, but you, you have some that are just very intellectual and that's important and that's good to understand. But then you have those that are that combined with being a pastor 
and the wisdom and the authority that they speak with is completely different. And that's what's happening here. The author is speaking of history. The author is sharing his word. And their response was, he taught them as one who had authority. Literally, a right to control or command. A right to act. Another definition of the the Greek word there is absolute power. We sang a lot of songs about God's power and His might this morning. And so He taught as one that had a right to command them, a right to do whatever He wanted, and one that had all power. Would that make a difference? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's why as we come to study and as we come to worship, our basis should be God's Word. Not what I say, not what someone else says, but God's Word, because that's where authority comes from. But it's interesting as he, as we'll see in the next story as well, the next scene, his teaching of authority always demanded a response. It always meddled. It always stepped on toes and, and, and dug down to say either you're for me or against me. Either this is true or not true. And that's why the astonishment response. That's why the fear, because they know it's different and they know that they are being confronted to their very core with what they believe. William Lane says this, In the presence of Jesus, men are disturbed. And this disturbance is the precise act of fishing to which Jesus has called for fishermen. In the presence of Jesus, men are disturbed because they are confronted with the truth and have to either change or consciously say they will not change. Jesus had authority in his teaching. And he attacked religious hypocrisy. When we think of of application, when we think of what we do with that, it's a call to come back to God's Word, to God's authority. But it's a call to come back to it and say, Lord God, challenge me with this. Confront me with this. Step on my toes. It means coming every Sunday and saying, okay, Holy Spirit, step on my toes with something from Your Word. It means every time you open the rooted readings or every time you do your personal study, Holy Spirit, step on my toes. Confront me. May Your Word have authority in my life instead of being just a good story. Jesus had authority in His teaching. That's His first credential. And Mark here, as he he uses these stories, also takes three themes that he tracks throughout the entire first eight chapters of the book. His teaching, his authority over demons, his authority over over the physical world. And those are going to keep coming back up over and over. Second point, Jesus has authority or power over the demonic. Jesus has authority over the demonic, and that includes Satan. And this means he attacks the power of Satan to influence and control. He directly attacks the power of Satan to influence and control. 
Let's read in verse 23. Now keep in mind, the setting is still the synagogue. Okay, so we're still, Jesus has just finished teaching. People are astonished, and we start to see the response. Astonishment from the people, but then in verse 23, and immediately there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him and said, Be silent. Come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. We see the second point that Mark is making here. Jesus has authority and power over the demonic. And he's using this miracle actually to support and give credibility to the teaching. The teaching is the point. The miracle proves the point. Gives credibility to the point. But what's interesting here in verse 23, where were they? They were still in the synagogue. There is a demon-possessed man in the synagogue that is worshiping there that has not had a problem till this point. Wow. No wonder they saw the difference between the teaching of Jesus and the teaching of the scribes. Because the teaching of the scribes was religious hypocrisy that had no power and could not even confront the works of Satan. In fact, were part of the works of Satan. And so Jesus steps into the scene and the demon can't handle it. And immediately he cries out, proclaims, and, and, and just, it, it's an, a cry of anguish. And we see the clash between the kingdom of God and the dominion of Satan right from the start because that's why Jesus came to destroy the dominion of Satan. And so right from the start, let's, let's get busy. Let's get to it. And the demon responds. Verse 24. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Literally, what between you and me? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And it's interesting in this response, we, we see a number of things. The, the demon here is not so much asking questions, it's more the idea of, you've come to destroy us, haven't you? And, and he's expressing what he knows. And it's interesting because the, the, the scribes of the time had a tradition and, and a belief, and the demon was following this, that part of a conflict and part of a supernatural conflict, if you could name the other person, and if you could specify their name, you took power over them. And you took authority over them. And so we need to understand this verse for what it is. This isn't just a cowering demon. This is a demon who is attacking back and is trying to confront Jesus. And he says, who are you? Jesus of Nazareth. And he uses his earthly name. And then he comes along and says, you've come to destroy us, haven't you? And then he says, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And he's specifying his name in an attack and in an attempt to subjugate Jesus. And it's like a... a, a puny boxer in a ring with a heavyweight. He's just taking these little jabs and trying to do something. 
And so Jesus replied in verse 25, but Jesus rebuked him saying, be silent and come out of him. And that's the heavyweight going, boom! (laughs) Fight's done. That's what it means. The word for be silent there, we would probably better translate, and I'm glad my kids aren't in the room, it would be better translated shut up. It's a word that was used of muzzling the ox. It's the same word Jesus used when he stood in front of the storm and said, be calm, be still. And with authority and with power, he says, that's enough, be quiet, it is done. And the demon convulsed, cried out with a loud voice, and came out of him. No more questions, no more argument. Authority has been established. And that story sends chills up my back because we see a window into the supernatural and who Jesus really is. There were two things that the demons knew. And understand, knowledge is not enough. These things did not save him. The things he knew is that Jesus came to destroy them. And that's true. It's why Jesus came. To redeem us to himself from the power of Satan, from the dominion of Satan. And the second thing he knew was that this was the Holy One of God, a statement of authority. And so Jesus was a threat to his very existence. He defied and he resisted in a puny sort of way. But in the end, the holiness of God, the righteousness of God, the power of God prevailed. Not in a tug-of-war fight like we saw at Awana Games yesterday, but in a decisive, final, single blow. And we see Jesus has authority over the supernatural. A realm we don't understand. A realm that we are often fearful of. But a realm that Jesus has complete power over. And Jesus here doesn't come up with any secret incarnations, incantations, sorry, some secret words of, of how to get rid of a demon. He just says, shut up and come out. And the people watching this would have thought, that is a completely different authority than we have never, ever seen. Who is this man? Who is this man? It's interesting that we we see a pattern here that Mark brings out and many of the Gospel writers bring out uh, of Jesus silencing those that are proclaiming who He is. And in this case, He's silencing the demon and He says, be quiet. And part of that, or that, that follows right after a statement of truth. You are the Holy One of God. And we might think, well, why wouldn't Jesus want people to know that? Why not let the demon proclaim it? couple of reasons of why Jesus would stop this. The, the first is that it wasn't time yet. Because he not only stops the demons, he, he heals people and tells them not to tell anyone. And we have to understand this theme. Jesus was acting on God's timetable, not on man's timetable. Praise God. Praise God. He still acts on his timetable and not our timetable. And, and he intentionally was not going to let anything change that. Not that anything could. And so, two aspects of that. Number one, he didn't want people elevating him to the political messiah, which 
we see already starting to happen in the next few verses. But number two, he does not want to, to hasten the crucifixion. He's on his timetable. He knows what's happening. He knows the timing of what's happening. But finally, another reason to silence him, to proclaim Jesus as God without an understanding of the cross, without a faith in Christ, is incomplete and is inappropriate. It's wrong. Because if the demon is proclaiming who he is, then that brings a different credibility to Christ. A lack of credibility. And the demon was proclaiming an incomplete message. Yes, he was the Holy One of God, but he came to redeem us from our sins and die on the cross. And the demon is proclaiming something he knows, but not something he has faith in. And that needs to be silenced. And people responded. Jesus has authority over demons. People respond. And they were all amazed in verse 27 so that they questioned among themselves, debated, and they're asking questions, saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey Him. And at once, His fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. If it was today, everyone would be texting, do you know what just happened? I think their word of mouth system might have been faster in a small town. <laughs> and at once, everyone knows and, everyone, and his fame is spreading. And the question of what Jesus we're going to see him deal with is, is this a fame that is proper? Is this a fame that he wants to spread? Or is it just come and see the healer, come see the miracle worker? Or is it about the teaching? And we'll see Jesus come back to that. A couple of thoughts as we, we think about the, the whole world of the demonic. A warning that goes with this. We are not to take the demonic or the supernatural lightly. I am not Jesus. You are not Jesus. And the demonic is not something to play with, to mess around with. Well, I have authority. I can dabble. No, we should stay as far from it as we can. I am shocked when I see some of the movies that we watch and some of the things that we read that clearly are demonic and we have no problem with it. And he's sitting in the synagogue and no one's confronting it. We must be cautious. We must be careful that we do not give Satan open doors. Now along with that, that's the warning, but, the, but that warning should not drive us into fear. Because I've also seen people that are so fearful that they're looking under every chair and under their tires for Satan and, and trying to find every little thing and, and, and living in such a, a cocoon of fear that they're stifled from being able to do anything for Christ. And that is not the point. The point is Jesus does have authority. He is living in us. And by, by that, we through Him do have authority. It's His authority. And so there's freedom in that to pursue Christ, to love Him, to honor Him, to do His work. But Jesus came to conquer sin. He came to destroy Satan and the demonic. 
1 John 4.4 4 says, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. But I'm also convicted by that and embarrassed by that when I sin. Because when I sin, I now am proclaiming that that is not conquered. And that's, that sin still has authority. And when I sin, I deny the authority of Christ over Satan and over the demonic and over temptation. And I challenge us to think about that in areas where maybe we struggle with sin, whether it be attitudes or, or whether it be lust or whether it be anything, areas of anger and, and outbursts and where do we struggle because that's an area that Jesus has already defeated and He already has authority over. And the problem isn't with Jesus. The problem is that we are not walking with Him and allowing His authority to conquer that. We need to go back to the cross and remember the battle's won. The battle is done. And we see from Jesus' first credentials, He has complete, ultimate absolute authority over Satan and his realm. Let's read on, because the day continues. All that's late morning. Okay? So, so this is all one day still. That's late morning. They get out of the synagogue in verse 29. I want to say they get out of church and they go to Taco Bell, but um, <laughs> immediately, <laughs> immediately, and you see Mark here is saying, yep, it happened right away. It happened right away. Immediately, he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Capernaum is where Simon and Andrew lived. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came, and he took her by the hand, and lifted her up, and the fever left her. And she began to serve them, literally begin to prepare the evening meal. So they get out of the synagogue late morning, early afternoon, make the journey over to Peter's house. Keep in mind from the picture that journey was maybe 100, 200 feet. So perhaps not a long journey. And, and there they, they come in and people make a request of Jesus. Great way to make prayer requests in person. <laughs> Say, Jesus, my mother-in-law, she has fever. The word there is, a, is burning up, a high fever. So this wasn't just a you know, 99.5. This was a high fever burning up. They didn't know how to deal with those. And Jesus walks in. And this time doesn't even say a word. Doesn't need to. And he reaches out and takes her by the hand and helps her up. And she is healed. Completely healed. That's a little bit of of why that last phrase, and she served them. She got up and made the evening meal. That, That wasn't saying... Oh, that's why he raised her or anything like that. It's a testimony to the completeness of his healing. I don't know if you've had high fevers before, but you don't often just, you know, all of a sudden it breaks and you're ready to go and running around. My my kids do, but then uh, an hour later they're back over the toilet and that's been our week. Because they get up too soon and they do too much too soon. But she is healed completely. And we see... In point number three, Jesus has authority over human illness. 
Jesus has authority over human illness. He attacks the results of the fall. Sickness, the process of our body dying, that's all because of the fall. That's all because of the, the, the power of sin, or the, the effect of sin, rather. And Jesus is showing He has authority over the fall, over the physical, over human illness. A couple quick pictures real quickly, just for fun. We have Peter's house. We'll do these quickly, but this is where they have to go. And they're coming. They've built a church on top of Peter's house, and, and so the, the new structure is not the structure, but it's here. This was the synagogue. This was Peter's house here that we think, and, and most likely is. Go to the next one. And so this is what's built over it. The house was underneath it, and they've excavated a number of things. Go ahead and go to the next one. Here's a picture underneath. You see the beams of the church. Oh, that's easier to see. And then you see the walls that they've unearthed of Peter's house. They found a courtyard and and a number of things that were typical of a a house there. Do I have another one? And that's it. Okay, thanks. (laughs) (laughs) But this was a real place. And this event really happened. And it was the afternoon of, of what happened at the synagogue. And his power was evident. When we think of illness, when we think of physical things, that's an area that we are struggling for answers in still today, aren't we? Doctors are practicing medicine, and and we're trying to find good diagnoses. And I know we're praying for several that have been in the hospital. We have Joy's father in the hospital and others. And and we, we pray for what for doctors? For wisdom. Because it's not this, this defined process. You can't tell when the spark plug wire is just off. It, it's, you, you have to figure it out. And, and it's, a, it's an area that God has complete authority over and knows, and it's not even a question. And He shows that like that. In my, in my email this week, I'm reading through my emails and scanning, and one of the spam ones was, Stop snoring now. Don't know if Susie sent that to me or I'm not sure, but um, and I'm thinking, well, I have if I'm reading it. It worked. It's amazing. But we we try to come up with all these silly cures and and all these things because we're dealing with an area that is so close to us, but we can't control. We don't have authority over. And Jesus takes her hand and she gets up and she's healed. Just a side note, it's a reminder as a church to be following James chapter 5, where he says, is any of you sick? Call the elders. Have them pray. Because it's not our authority, it's his, his authority. The response of the people in verse 32, that evening at sundown, so that happens in the afternoon, remember this is still the Sabbath day, that evening at sundown they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. Probably in the evening because they would need to wait for the Sabbath to end to be able to carry the sick. And the word for brought there literally means to carry them. And it was against their laws to carry someone on the Sabbath. And so as soon as, you can just picture, the fame has gone out. Everyone's hearing what's happening and everyone's waiting at their doors. 
looking at the sundial, and they're saying, okay, as soon as the Sabbath is over, we're there. And, and, and that's what happens. As soon as the Sabbath is over, the crowds come, and they're at Peter's house. And it's the same day. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he, being Jesus, healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And there again, we see he does not want them proclaiming against his timetable and with a credibility that isn't from on high. But I'm amazed that after this day and crowds coming and it's evening that he takes the time and he heals. And the word for many there, it's, it's actually a Hebrew idiom that meant all. And so he took the time that everyone that came, he healed. Patiently, lovingly, reaching out to them, meeting physical needs. Now keep in mind, these people did not believe the message yet. They did not understand repentance. And we see, and, and throughout the book of Mark, I pray that we see the heart of Jesus. Because it is not a heart of stone. It is a heart that loves and cares for people. A heart that reaches out. And he is reaching out in this case so that they will hear the message. But not all will. And he still stops and cares. He's invading Satan's kingdom with the exorcisms, with the healings. The demons are powerless before him. They are all coming out. And the question I think of, when I think of his authority over illness, and, but more than that, his, his ministry to people, are we troubled by people's cares? Or do we care about what troubles people? Are we troubled by people's cares? Does it bother us when someone comes and, oh, I have this problem, or I have this need, and, oh, okay, here we go again. And it's easy to get that way, isn't it? Especially at the end of a long day, and we're tired. Or do we care about people's troubles? Jesus cared, and that's our example. And he healed many that were sick with various diseases, cast out many demons, and he would not permit those demons to speak because they knew him. And we see a crowd saying, come see the healer. Come see the miracle worker. But we don't see in this story, come hear the teacher. Come repent. And so we move to the next scene. Night falls. Jesus and the disciples go to sleep. Next morning, this is still in that same 24-hour period. Next morning, verse 35. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, hmm, probably between 3 and 6 a.m., he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. See, the last point this morning is Jesus' response to endless ministry 
was to commune with the source of authority. His response to endless, tiring ministry, and Jesus could get weary, he could get tired, his human side experienced what we experience, and his response to endless ministry was to commune with the source of authority. He got away and prayed. And we see a beautiful picture of the servant Savior. Because yes, we have three stories that he has authority over demons, he has authority in teaching, he has authority over illness, and he is submissive. And he is under authority. And he goes back to God the Father. And he is Savior, and he is servant. And in the middle of tiring ministry and draining ministry, instead of sleeping in, he gets up early and says, I need to go spend time with God. I need to go spend time with my Father. I need to pray. And boy, does that step on toes. Because it's so easy when we get busy to start cutting out those things that Make us lose sleep. But this was a need. It was a need that Jesus, by example, showed us to come to the authority of God, to come to the refreshing water of God, to come and be restored and refreshed, to not just come to God when we're in trouble and need to pray and throw up a quickie and need an answer, but to come to Him and humble ourselves and to submit It's interesting looking at the the story here. It's not just that he went out and prayed. And he prayed for a long time. Because Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And and, and the idea is a manhunt. They were out hunting for him. They didn't know where he was. And picture what happened. Jesus is gone before anyone else is up. Everyone else in the town starts waking up. What do they do? We're here again. We need more healings. We need more demons cast out. So the crowd is coming back. And a little bit of conjecture here, but I picture Simon hearing all this and going to where Jesus was sleeping, and he's gone. And the disciples at this point don't know what to do. They don't have this authority, and so they go searching for him. And they hunt him down, and then in a little bit of a chiding manner, something they'll learn as they spend time with Jesus, they say, everyone is looking for you. And the idea is, why aren't you coming? That word for seeking is always used in a negative connotation in the New Testament. It's an attempt to control. And so by saying, everyone's seeking for you, everyone's, everyone needs you. And the temptation of the urgent is front and center. And the disciples didn't get it yet. They thought the healing was the ministry. They thought the casting out of demons was the ministry. Those things were just pointing to the ministry giving credibility to the ministry. And we see Jesus through prayer coming back to the purpose. Because in verse 38, He says to them, Let us go to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. The point was the message of repentance. The other things were extra And the people had forgotten that. And they were focusing on the extra and forgot the message. So he said, it's time to go. It's time to share with other towns. It's time to move. 
And the one with all authority seeks and submits to the Father's authority and realizes a need for refreshment from the Father. And if Jesus needed the Father, needed to pray, needed to commune with His Maker, not in a literal sense as in God made God, but in the sense of Father and Son and an example to us, if He needed to do that, how much more do we? How much more do we? Who is Jesus? One with all authority. Authority in his teaching because he confronts and steps on toes and speaks truth. Authority over the demonic because he created them. Has all power over them. Authority over illness that we don't understand. And I leave with this thought that authority is the authority of our God that that lives in us, that we trust, that we have faith in, that we believe in. And that should bring a peace. In the middle of worrying about so many different things and, and worrying about what's happening, and if God has all authority, then there's nothing to worry about. Amen? Amen. The caution with that is these verses aren't designed to teach us, well, God has all authority and He lives in you, so you really get whatever you want. This isn't a magic genie syndrome. I would have loved for Jesus this morning to exercise His authority and change daylight savings time. (laughs) He didn't. And here we are at at 10 o'clock. Because understand this. His authority is never exercised by our will. His authority is always exercised by His will and His timetable and His plan. Jesus went and prayed to, to stay with the Father's plan To show submission. And so many times we get into situations where God has not shown His authority here because we're on our timetable. We're on our plan and we're on our agenda. And Jesus says, it's not about your agenda. It's about mine. It's about the message of repentance. And as we pray for things like Japan and the disaster there, our prayer should be that the Gospel goes forth. And that God can use this to touch lives that have never known Him before. And that lives will be in the kingdom that would not have been there. And we need to be about His plan and His authority and not ours. May we rest in His authority. Let's pray. Lord God, our Father, we come to You knowing that You have all authority. In these three quick stories You have authority beyond our comprehension and over all that we can think or do. Lord, may we submit to that as Jesus submitted to you. May we spend precious holy time in prayer being refreshed 
and enabled to do your work by your power. May we know who you are and be able to share that with others. In your name.